Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, welcome back to the show. I have a good friend of mine here today, Brian. And just like with all the other podcasts, we're going to be talking about random health-related topics. Um, and we'll just kind of wing it today. But Brian, I wanted to ask you like a quick question because I know you've been in this field for quite a long time. And I feel like one of the obstacles to creating lasting change oftentimes is one of the biggest obstacles actually is not obviously only changing your internal internal environment, the person that led to the specific health challenges. But I feel like today, especially just modern society, isn't that conducive to mental and physical health. Yes, you could do really good damage control for sure. But I just think like the obstacles are against you, especially for the average American citizen, taking into consideration they haven't invested the uh, you know, thousands of hours of self-education that you have and also interviewing hundreds of people, et cetera, et cetera. And I know you um, you got a chance to go visit and live with the Hanza tribe for a little while. And that's just like a perfect example. I mean, look at them. I, I actually don't know that much about them, but I'm pretty sure they don't have like a 401k plan, a health mm-hmm. insurance plan. They don't have a health guru, a nutritionist. Uh, they don't have Tony Robbins in there corner coaching them on throughout their life, but they're still like super healthy, thriving, extremely, extremely athletic. I would say probably at the level of pro athlete. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that's just like what happens when you put people in an environment that they have evolved to live in. They don't have to have all these elaborate systems and stuff like that. It just happens. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if we can kind of, if I can get your experience with them and your take on that and kind of go from there. Yeah, I love this as an opening question. It's one of the better opening questions I've ever gotten. It's because I haven't thought about it from this angle before. Going to visit the Hadza and hunt with them for three days and hang out with them and the Maasai. And we even went to Uganda to visit the pygmies. Uh, They're the the Batwa. Learned a lot, learned a lot. It, yeah, it was shocking to see a whole different way to live. But I think the core of your question comes down to the way modern society is set up. It's working completely against us. And if you just do the default, you will be screwed, right? And most, I, so I think I'm almost just repeating your your question a bit, but it's, it's good to repeat that m- most people out there aren't doing the thousands of hours of research that you did as well. Just listening to podcasts, doing all that stuff. Most people listening, they're way, way in the 1% of people that care about this stuff, do the research. So we are in a whole different category of people that are actively making decisions to change our environment. But 99% of the people, maybe, well, 99% of the people aren't in our specific health crowd. But I guess they're, I, I should be more generous and say there are five to 15% of people that are interested in health and they are maybe more that doing it the right way. I don't know. I think they're being optimistic. Uh, well, who knows? You know, I'm talking about vegan. The first number 99% was on point. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if you, yes, people who have it correct, who have like a generally, generally correct is like 1%. People who are at least thinking about health might be up to 20% because I'm, I'm talking about vegetarians, even vegans. They're trying, they're just doing it wrong. But you know what I mean? Like people who are conscious about it, but so they're trying to change their environment and that means what they eat and how they live and all that stuff. Most people, 
They just go along with whatever the TV tells them to do. And it's hard for me to think about this sometimes. That's why, it, yeah, it was an interesting question to me. I, I liked it because I'm like, oh yeah, most people, they just go along with the status quo. They do whatever the TV tells them. They they buy what they're told to buy and they pull into fast food restaurants because that's what's available. That's what they know. What That's just part of society. Of course, you talk to many people out there. I travel. I talk about the film a lot. I'm always talking about the health stuff. You go around the country, you go anywhere. They have no idea what we're talking about. They think we're insane. They're like, what do you mean? Like, there's, I love to go to Jack in the Box. This is great. It's, it's like $4 for a meal. Like, this is awesome. And we, they think we're insane for avoiding cereal. Like, what do, why would you avoid cereal? You know what I mean? They're like, that's, it's delicious. I love it. You know, they have all these things like, so you guys just restrict yourself and you have this terrible life of restriction and you don't get to eat cereal and you don't get to eat all the desserts and fast food. I'm like, no, <laughs> not at all. I, I, I'm not interested in those anymore and they don't have value to me and I, I don't crave them, but it's been a journey to get there. So, but it's just interesting. And, and we can talk about more of that journey later and yeah, how to get to this point. And, but I'm just wanting to stay on this topic of these people who are stuck in the matrix, they think that this is what they they should do and what is healthy. Uh, yeah, it's hard. So you have to purposely completely change your environment. You have to change your social habits. You have to change your family members. It is a lot because the default, you will absolutely be screwed. You will be on 10 medications. You will be 40 pounds overweight by the time you're say 40. You will be a disaster. And that's how the system's set up. So it's only the wackos like you and I that eat red meat every day. I don't know your exact diet, but <laughs> you know, we're here doing exactly the opposite of what people are saying and getting healthier. And that's a huge uphill battle to unlearn everything and do all these different lifestyle changes. So I don't know if we want to jump in a layer deeper, if you have another question of where to go next with this. No, go ahead. Just go in any direction you like, and we'll just kind of casually. I mean, there's so many things that we could uh, uncover today, and I'm sure we'll get to a lot of them. Well, I mean, the how. Yeah, I mean, we could go to the how. I mean, maybe, maybe we could save the solutions for the end of like how to go about unlearning things and how to make these changes slowly and introduce them in your life. But maybe we should go back to the Hadza because I'm glad you brought that up. I've been thinking about it lately, mainly because someone commented on some of my Hadza YouTube videos I made, like podcasts that I did about visiting the Hadza. And some of the interesting stuff was someone brought up they are world-class athletes. They actually aren't bulging muscles like giant people. It's quite the opposite. They, they kind of look like teenage boys, you know? They're just like sort of the like gangly teenage boy body but insane like they would crush so many like 99.9999 percent of the people in certain tasks like their agility their eyesight their precision with hunting and moving their body and reaction time and all that stuff it doesn't even make sense like they would win olympic like archery contests without even trying like they would hit this tiny little bush baby it looks like a little furby it's this little bush baby because they have no big animals to hunt anymore. They're forced to hunt these tiny small animals and they're pushed off their land. And that's a whole nother story. 
but they would hit this little bush baby that's the size of a softball that's in a tree covered by leaves that's, you know, 20 yards away and they'll just nail it. It's, it's amazing. They can get it. And we only saw a small picture of this. I just heard some other people talking about this and how accurate they were and how they could get almost, it's like, if they saw it, it was theirs. (laughs) You know, if, if some animal made the mistake of being seen, they're done. And, and I, I mean, I did kind of see that, like they, they were successful in the, every hunt they went on tiny little animals. They could even shoot birds with this bow and arrow and they got baboons. They got this little dick, which is a small antelope and they, yeah, they're incredible hunters and they completely, they live a completely different life than us. And we can break that down because yes, they certainly don't have any sort of thing. We do. They don't even think about the future or the past. They, we tried to ask them some questions. We had a great translator who grew up in the area and he sp- spoke many different languages, including English. That's why we hired him. And uh, he was asking them questions and they couldn't really grasp some of these questions about thinking about the future or thinking about the past or what were their, I think we're asking them like their goals or what they wanted to do later in life or, you know, what did they want to move to a a city even? And they're just like, what do you mean? Like I, we, we're hunting today. (laughs) We are going hunting today. We, you know, that, and that's as far as they think almost. I read about this somewhere else and saw that it was true is that, they ask, they actually don't even plan. They don't even, they don't, not only do not have like really leaders, there was a leader of the group, but it wasn't like this guy was in charge and said, Hey, we're going to be hunting today at 2 PM. It's, they just decide to go hunting. And then all of a sudden they all are running. And I, and I read about this and then I realized, Oh wait, that's exactly what happened. Cause we showed up every morning and we're just like, we don't know what to do. You know, we're just kind of hanging around and we have our camera equipment and we're sort of milling around their little campsite. And then all of a sudden they just started sprinting, (laughs) you know, they just ran away and we're like, Oh, I guess we're hunting now. And that's how they live. They're just like, well, now it's time to hunt or actually read this in a book. They don't say, Hey, let's go hunting now. They just say, I'm going hunting. And it's almost like, do you want to join me? You know, that is, that's how it works. It's not, they don't tell people what to do. They just say, I'm going to do this. Do you want to do it kind of thing? And that was really interesting too. Completely different type of society than we live in. Like you have to unlearn everything you know about society to know how these guys live. Most of their life is actually just hanging out, which is pretty interesting. It, it's, it's like we were just there. I mean, it's not like this was the most untouched tribe, right? This is one of the groups we were with was had tourists come by a lot. Another one, not so much. But they were just hanging out. They sit by the fire, they sing, they talk, they just cook meat. They just hang out all day. It's pretty interesting because people have this idea that we had these short, miserable lives. I think there's some quote about um, hunter gatherers in the past, the short, brutish life, you know, and they everyone thinks we died at 35. It, it couldn't be further from the truth, right? People listening probably understand that that was an average age and that if you made it past, you know, 
teenhood, you would live to your 70s and 80s. There's a study that that says the often age of death for a lot of these hunter gatherers is between 70 and 80, depending on the group. You know, so they did live long, even without you know sanitation or you know getting infections. They still live long. I'm sure, if they had a little bit of basic, you know, stuff that we have with you know some of the modern conveniences, they could live to a hundred. So anyway, they really they quick, Ryan, not to interrupt you, not to interrupt you, but to the point of like people living uh, shorter lifespans in hunter gatherer societies or whatever. And in modern society, they're living longer. I would easily make the argument that most people in modern society, their soul actually dies at 30 and their <laughs> physical body like continues to live into like, I think the average age for Americans right now is like 76. Mm-hmm. But really, if you look at their state of health, like basically 35 and on, it's like pretty damn miserably bad. I really like, I personally wouldn't want to live like that in a, that much physical and mental pain. So I didn't interrupt, interrupt, oh, but no, I just wanted great. to give that point. They're slowly dying. Yeah. People in America are slowly dying after 30. And I was on that path because when I turned 30, I had the dad bod, I had, you know, multiple problems and, and I was starting to take different medications and stuff. And then I changed my diet and lifestyle and all went away and I feel amazing and I'm in way better shape and everything's better. But yes, I was slowly dying at 30 and most people, they live longer, but they're just dying longer, especially if they're up in their 50s, 60s, 70s, they are just miserable. No one wants to live like that. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people in our community talking about having a, a health span, like a longer health span, not a longer lifespan, which is super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can keep someone alive in a nursing home till they're 80 and they have zero quality of life for the last 15 years. And on the other hand, there's my sort of hero, Mark Sisson, that is 68 and he's out there playing ultimate Frisbee. He's like outrunning 20 year olds. I played with him in Miami when we filmed with him for Food Lies. He's a beast. He's going to live well and live strong and enjoy his life until he dies and it's probably going to be at a very late age and he'll maybe he's not gonna be as ripped as he is now at 68 which is insane but he will be moving and he will be bending over and standing up at his own and you know which reminds me of a question we asked some of these guys and women actually we we talked to a lot of women on this trip i went with mary ruddick who's a great nutrition expert and sort of uh, amazing person. <laughs> she organized the whole trip and does a lot of great things. She was asking a lot of the women questions. We're, we're asking a lot of these older people questions. And one of them was, do, do older people have joint pain? Do their knees hurt? Like, does their back hurt? And the, the, they were just so confused. Like, We kept asking these older people and they, they didn't know what we we're talking about. Like one person was like, what do you mean? Like back, like, what do you mean back pain? Like, I, I don't know what that means. And then finally the translator, our guy was like pointing to the back and like, is it hurt? And then they're like, oh yeah, actually, uh, this, this guy fell out of a tree two months ago, you know, whatever he fell out of a tree recently and his back hurt. And that's the only back pain they know about is if you actually just get hurt. Otherwise they, they are free of pain. They, they aren't hobble hobbling around. They don't, they don't have, uh, even like problems with menstruation. We were talking to the women about pregnancy and menstruation. And Mary, you know, kept asking them, they're like, no, we don't have any 
trouble in our monthly cycle and we don't have trouble with pregnancy. It just happens. So this is kind of what you're asking about. It's if you just live in nature as you're supposed to, your body just works. Life just works. Everything works. That's I'm trying to make a post about this somewhat recently about when you dial in your diet, your body just starts working. Even in our mind society, it's kind of what I was saying. I had the joint pain. I had acid reflux. I had a lot of allergies. I had the extra fat on my belly, like all these things. And my body just didn't work. You know, I'm just like, ah, my body just doesn't work well anymore. Or you hear all the complaints, you know, after 30, after 40, it's just, ah, I can't play sports anymore. Or everyone just has all these complaints. And once I clean up my diet, I'm sure same thing with you, I'm sure with people listening and same thing with the hunter gathers, their body just works. It's amazing. You don't, you're, it just works. It's incredible. Like I don't have to use any over the counter medications. I don't have to do anything anymore. It just, your body works. Is that what you found? You know, your message here, Brian, is so anti-American. It makes me feel un-American, you know? <laughs> You're so anti-pharma. How are they going to make sales with this message going around? You know, what's wrong with you, man? I'm just joking. But, um, you know, um, I was kind of lucky enough. I um, I, I was raised by my grandmother of off-grid in Ukraine. Back then, it was the Soviet Union still for the most part. So... I was raised that way, but then I came to the U.S. and I was too naive to real, realize that all that Costco or all that food at Costco or whatever wasn't raised bio, biodynamically the same way we raised it on mm. um, on that off grid on that off grid farm. And it took me many many years before I ran into uh, Paul Czech's uh, nutrition, the Dirt Facts on YouTube, and he was explaining like industrial agriculture, you know. Uh, the abuse of medical drugs as, as standardized normal normalized healthcare um, and stuff of that sort, and then also just compared it to the gold standard of what he was talking about. There was biodynamic farming, you know, and I'm like, oh shit, you know, you're telling me like those twenty eggs I would buy at Costco for like two bucks aren't like pasture raised and grain free like in in the ranch we grew up in. And here's the other problem. So even for let's say the average citizen that has a good intention of regaining their health. I ran into this problem. I thought like it started with uh, I just want healthy eggs. And I thought it would be like, dude, a two hour research topic and then done. I'll be, I'll, I'll have my answer. <laughs> and then like, dude, like many years later, I'm still looking for these healthy eggs and uh, all the nutrition labeling is, as you know, even when your intention is to source high quality food in the U S it's extremely difficult to do so, you know, when you're looking for like, quote unquote, actual legit natural mm -hmm. food where the animal is fed a species specific diet, genuinely actually lives on pasture, not like the bogus kind of free range label, et cetera, et cetera. It's like difficult to do so. And I don't know if you experience the same thing. And especially I feel it's like monumentously more difficult with social media now, you know? I hate to say it, but it's like, it's so many conflicting uh, pieces of information. You know, mm -hmm. you have this one guy saying, very credible person rather saying one thing and then another equally credible person mm -hmm. saying the complete opposite. And then the third guy saying both of these guys are stupid, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel, especially when you're not like, I'm talking about from the average citizen's perspective, when you're not like so invested into becoming your own mechanic, you can see how it's like, 
insurmountable at this point, you know? I don't know what your take is on oh, that. Yeah. If you experience the same same problems. Well, absolutely. And that's why there's so many podcasts out there and people trying to do the good work, but I don't know how to <laughs> make it so it's so hard to find out who has the right information too, right? It's like that that's a problem in itself. But at least there are people trying to give this good advice and help people weed through all the mess out there. But with the the eggs specifically, I mean, yes, I found good eggs. I was just talking about them today. They're at the farmer's market and they are the real deal and it's not fake labeling. And I know, cause I know Sam and I know where his farm, I actually never been there, but I've seen videos that I know him well. And yes, you have to go to that level and they are soy free, corn free. You know, it's all the things It has bright orange yolks. It's it tastes incredible. I won't eat any other eggs, but yeah, you, you can't really, the, I guess one of the lessons there is you can't rely on the labeling. You rely on relationships and knowing people and trying to know, yeah, know where your food is from. It's like, I know, well, I have nose to tail. So that's a bit of a cheat code really, because I have my own meat company, but I know these people. It's like, all it is, it is one family that does my beef. I do not get beef from anyone else. So I've been there and I've stayed with them and I've eaten dinner with them and I know their kids and they know me and it's great, right? Like this is how it's supposed to be done. That's how it was always done. So the more steps in between that, the more fake labels you'll get, the more money will be exchanged. More middlemen means more profits are taken, which means you're getting a poor quality product probably or just a more expensive product. Usually you just get a poor quality project because everyone's cutting corners and then they have to pay all the different middlemen and then you're just paying an inflated price for a worse product. So yeah, there, there, there's actually no real way to get around it except for just going straight to the source. You can't rely. And so, yeah, it's not super easy. You have to go to the farmer's market or you have to find your rancher or your farmer and not everyone's going to do that, right? But I guess back to my, I was kind of saying, what are the solutions or how do you get on this path and this journey? I didn't get on this immediately either. I started nine years ago, speaking of Mark Sisson, read his book. That's all that happened to me. I was just some idiot, <laughs> you know, doing whatever, slowly killing myself until I read his book and, and it sent me down this path. Primal Blueprint, by the way. And I think I read that I like, like 10, 15 years ago or something, or it's pretty old, right? Old, yeah. I think his first publishing was probably 17 years ago. Okay. More, who knows when it was? Yeah, yeah. I, I only read it nine years ago. But it's not like I was at the farmer's market after I read that book, mm -hmm. right? I just cut out grains and seed oils and sugar after reading that book, which actually is 90% of my health success. And what I continue to preach is just get rid of those three ingredients. And Mark just got that from Weston Price. Right, Weston Price is really where it all started because he formalized this research really. And and if you want to talk about Weston Price at all, have you talked about him a lot? I haven't talked about him personally, but yeah, he's a great resource. But you're welcome to expand on it if you like. Yeah, I'll give you the quick breakdown. I mean, I'm sure people, have, more people in the past, have figured out some of this stuff. But Weston Price in the 1930s really formalized this 
because he was a, a dentist actually, went around the world and studied these native populations that still enjoyed great health and they had great teeth. So basically he's a, he was a Canadian dentist in Ohio practicing and realized, wait, everyone, if everyone would just lost their teeth like everyone does here, we wouldn't be around. <laughs> How is this possible? We really need our teeth for evolutionary, you know, just to stay alive. So he thought there must be people who are still healthy, and he realized how everyone was so sick, right? They were just starting to get these chronic diseases in that era. So he's like, well, there's probably some people out there not eating this, these new commercial foods, industrial foods, and they probably have great teeth and they probably are great health. That's exactly what he found. He went around the world. He went to Micronesia. He went to Australia. He went to the Swiss Alps, went to Africa, went everywhere. And there was this common theme. Uh, well, he found all the people that were untouched by commerce, which is really hard to find. You have to find these untouched societies that didn't have trade yet because so many places had trade, you know, with these you know, these ships would come in and drop off sacks of flour and sacks of sugar and whatever. So he found these people. They all had an nose to tail animal foods as the base of their diet. They all had even special practices around pregnancy with organ meats and the most nutrient dense foods and fats and, you know, butter and eggs and organs around pregnancy. And they'd give them to the women and even the men. And these were untouched people that were, had no contact. And they all figured out the same thing is how to make a healthy child was to give them the most nutrient dense animal foods. And they all, of course, avoided the, the seed oils, the, the sugars and the grains. So, it was just really amazing. And then as soon as these foods came in, because he, he saw this live, you know, he went around the world for many years studying these people, they would get sick very quickly with these modern foods. And they even intergenerationally where, or w within brothers was a good example where the older brother was raised on the native foods. And then the younger brother would get, you know, the toast and the jam and the, you know, the, the flour and sugar came in. And he had messed up teeth and he was shorter and had all these health conditions. And it, it was amazing. This is the most incredible book. It's called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration mm -hmm. by Weston Price. Life-changing book. Anyone of my friends that gets pregnant, I send them the book. Whether they read it is a different story. But it is absolutely life-changing book. Most health information you've heard, anyone listening, I guarantee you, 80% of the health information you've heard is from Weston Price's work. It's all about vitamin D, vitamin K2. He, he actually uh, found out about vitamin K2 and, and, and these cofactors. He called it activator X. He didn't understand why these people were healthy and some were not. And he found out that it was because it needed this. Uh, so he, he discovered so many things about natural living and the you know getting sun and getting good food and all this stuff. So it's just interesting that everyone, which is me as well, is just rehashing his work. And that's why I love him so much. And it's all being proven out with modern science. You know, it's like he, he didn't know exactly what he was looking, you know, finding and why, but now we know why it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that was vitamin K2. You know, that was active, you know, vitamin D not, or, you know, like this is fat soluble vitamins, vitamins from animal foods, not the other vitamins that you get, you know, other versions from plant foods, the precursors, stuff like that. And he figured this stuff all out. So I don't know how we got on this Weston Price sidetrack, but 
basically we're talking about uh, people live in alignment with their natural oh, evolution oh. that's been going on for with the homo sapien at least for at least like 200,000 plus years. Well, yeah. Also, yeah, I guess I specifically was the sugar flower oil is that these were the things that I cut out and changed my life. And what I think all good diets have in common is that they cut out those three ingredients. So that's how I got on the Western Price spiel because also Mark Sisson talked about these three ingredients. And, you know, of course, probably credited Weston Price too. But that is the number one needle mover, I think. Maybe you could tell me what you think, but of all the things, you know, people get kind of caught up in the biohacking world and they're, you know, they're great, you know, they're trying to do good things and yeah, yeah. Get some blue blocking glasses if you want, do all that stuff. It's great. But you're moving the needle, you know, 1%, whatever. Yeah, moving the needle 80%, you got to get rid of <laughs> sugar flower oil. And on top of that, it's like a lot of, uh, in, from the vantage point of the average citizen, you know, nine out of 10 uh, American adults right now are metabolically sick. It's like, dude, like the foundation is extremely poor and it doesn't matter what house you try to build on top of the foundation at that point. You know, it's not, it's not going to work out well. It's like the average citizen last time I read was uh, sleeping like five and a half hours a day. You know, uh, average male is like 26% body fat, metabolically unhealthy on two different uh pharmaceutical drugs as well by the time they're like 35 which isn't which isn't even old you know understand mm -hmm. maybe 75 or 80 whatever but it's not even old they're still very young and then you know extremely overworked you know probably not on passionate about their work or their life life purpose at all and then they're like well i just need to take some more like blu-ray blocking glasses you know? yeah. i'm like dude you gotta like fix all of that stuff first and make sure you're at least operating at like a b level you know like a respectable level in all of those categories consistently all year round and then you can think about adding this little stuff like here and there and just understand even all that stuff's probably not even going to do that much because like the hansa tribe i mean you can see like are they doing any like biohacking stuff no they have infinite endurance or super healthy from the pictures I saw, they're like extremely good fat to muscle ratio as well. Oh yeah. Um, I don't. Do they have? Did you notice any like mental health issues? No. Oh, we asked them all about mental health. Mary was really good about asking them all these questions. She was asking them even about autism and stuff, and she had to you know use different language to try to because they didn't know what autism was. Well, because they don't have it, but. You know, she was like, do, do people, do children have trouble making eye contact and socializing? And, you know, she asked the right questions and it was just, no, no, no. Is anyone depressed? No. Is anyone this? No, no. All knows. There, there is not mental problems. There's not depression. There's none of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm curious. Have you ever been confused by the labels in the grocery store? In Yevgeny's book, he demystifies the difference between caged, cage-free, free-range, and pasture-raised meats. He also covers how to avoid GMOs, source high-quality water, fish, supplements, and other related topics. It's a beautifully illustrated, non-technical read that comes with a comprehensive video series and other extended learning materials. Jump on Amazon and check out the book titled Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide by Evgeny Trefkin. Now let's dive back into the podcast. Yeah, and I've experienced, I've experienced that with myself personally in terms of like I used to have a, 
really bad clinical levels of social anxiety, you know, and just generalized anxiety as well. And, um, you know, I'll go to the doctors. They're like, well, you know, it's genetics. Like, just take these, just take these drugs, you know, and you'll be fine. But I knew like just being raised by my grandmother, I already knew there was just something like too good to be true, you know, kind of message behind it. So I didn't go that route. And I already kind of knew just from experimenting. I'm like, well, you know, like when I travel or when I don't put so much pressure on myself or don't work so many hours or maybe, you know, periodize my workout programs correctly, my anxiety actually goes down a lot to the point of uh, beneath clinical levels where it's not even like noticeable, basically, you really don't even care. So I'm like, well, you know, hey, if I re-engineer my lifestyle, uh, you know, externally and also change some things internally, the anxiety seems to freaking go away for the most part, mm -hmm. you know? So how's that? Like, sure, genetics, it may actually sometimes load the gun, but your decisions in life pull the trigger, you know, on whether those genetics are going to be expressed or not. So I just feel there's just so much power in an individual if they just take the right steps. And I would say just from observation, like 99.8% of chronic health issues could be eliminated if you just took those right steps. And more importantly, just change the person that's causing all those problems because <laughs> it has to start there because, dude, if you're if you're doing it to yourself, I mean, that's pretty powerful because you can stop doing it to yourself also anytime. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do. You, I needed mentors. I don't know. You probably needed mentors as well. You needed a lot of books. You can't just sit around and, and not learn anything because you can't solve a problem with the same belief system that led to the problem also. So you got to take that into consideration. You have to have external people's opinions and uh, ideally from healthy people as well, because unfortunately, I think just the average person these days is unhealthy and then they go to an unhealthy healthcare provider <laughs> that's equally messed up physically and mentally for health advice. I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, well, I posted a maybe controversial post about this extremely obese woman that won a dietitian of the year award or something. And I asked, yeah, should you take health advice from someone who's not healthy? And I think, no, I think Part of the big problem is I I know what her health advice was. It was low fat, grain, high grain diets that avoid red meat. And so maybe she was trying to follow that advice, but of course it didn't work because it's terrible advice. And so, I mean, there's no way that someone could become as obese as she was following any advice. And someone showed me an Instagram post of her eating a black bean burger with like a, a white bread processed bun and French fries and a beer. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows how often she did that, but anyway, like there, you know what I mean? Like just looking at her, you could tell that she had a bad diet and she wasn't healthy. So sure. Some people are on their health journey. Some people, I know some people say that do good diets and they're animal based and they just aren't skinny yet. And they probably know a lot of good information and I, they probably could give out great advice, but it's because they actually have the right information and maybe they're just not on their, on their journey yet as, as far along as some people. So that's fine. So yes, I'm not fat shaming people. And I'm not saying that people who are, are heavier than others don't have good advice, but it's, you know, it's, it's what <laughs> advice they're giving. So that's, yes, that's one thing. Another thing is the genetic thing you brought up. I think. That's a huge cop out 
right? And some people said in the comments, oh, well, you don't know like her background. Maybe she has some genetic problem. And I'd say, well, I mean, a tiny, 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 like 0.01% of people could have some crazy genetic condition where their thyroid's just absolutely damaged from birth and they just completely put out the wrong hormones. And yes, they be can become obese. That is so few people in the world. It you, you cannot make that excuse. And so like you say, yeah, the classic genetics load the gun, environment pulls the trigger. That could not be more true. Uh, Alzheimer's, for example, people may know my story. If you don't check out the intro to my film series on the Food Lies YouTube channel, we put out a three and a half minute intro that we spent a long time on and is, is really quality and really cool. <laughs> so I'd say check it out. Press pause, check it out. I'm telling you it's worth it. Everyone I show it to, they're like, oh my God, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like I just showed it to two people yesterday actually in Austin and they completely blew their mind and they're like, oh my God, I need to connect you with this person or this is incredible, blah, blah, blah. So part of my story is my mom lost my dad to cancer when I was about 30, lost my mom to Alzheimer's. She's still technically alive, but she's been unresponsive for, I don't know, three years, completely unresponsive. So the Alzheimer's thing, supposedly I have the Alzheimer's genes, but I am not worried at all. I am absolutely not worried. I've not thought about it once because I'm living an ancestrally appropriate life. And from talking to some of the great scientists and doctors that I've interviewed, I've understood this more. I'm specifically thinking of Dr. Tommy Wood. I think this is when I kind of came to this idea during the podcast that or, I mean, it's not my new idea, really, but it, it sort of cemented in my mind that you can have these different phenotypes and genotypes, sorry, genotypes, yeah, that, and you have these different alleles, right? There's like APOE4, and people know if you, you, know, if you have one copy or two copies, then you're more at risk. If you have two copies, less at one, and even less if you have zero of them. So what I understood about this is that just because someone has the two copies of APOE4, that doesn't mean that they have the Alzheimer's gene. What that means is they are less suited to live this trash, garbage, modern life, right? So what it means, it's, it, it's kind of the most ancient gene type, I think. It's what I remember is that our most ancient ancestors had these two ApoE4 genes or alleles that, and so, it's basically we have to live like them, right? Does that make sense so that you people with these this most ancient version of these genes can't survive well in the modern lifestyle, right? They can't survive eating processed foods as well as others. So conversely, that means that people without those genes are more adapted. They can get away with more, right? That's what, so that's why so every most everyone's just living the modern life. They're just sitting there eating cereal and fast food and doing the normal stuff. So of course, some people can get away with it more and they have a smaller percentage of Alzheimer's and some people get away with it less and they have more Alzheimer's. It's not that you have the Alzheimer's genes. It's that you are less adapted to this terrible way of living. So that's empowering. It's amazing. I'm not worried about it. I just know that I'm going to have to continue to live well and I will. <laughs> and, and, and same thing with any other chronic disease you could name. Yeah, sure. I'm sure there's some different genes or different situations with different people that make them more predisposed to getting diabetes or heart attacks or cancer or this or that. So what? 
if you just live appropriately, exactly. you won't get it. And I exactly. can't for sure. I'm not going to say 100% you won't get it, but I will say you have vastly, insanely improved your likelihood of not getting it. Yeah. I don't know. To your point, I don't think anyone's genes are adapt to living the, the way modern society no, is. It is incredible that some people can kind of get away with it. You know what I mean? You see some I don't of these- know, man. With nine out of 10 American adults right now, metabolic, I mean, dude, Brian, come on, let's be serious. Like even in a health conscious <laughs> area, even in a health conscious area like Austin, um, shit, Austin might not be the best example for my point, but even there, no, there's like, people. Dude, you, there's you can exactly. walk out. Yeah. 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 You can walk out anywhere in Austin and I guarantee you nine out of 10 people you run into are like highly inflamed, like probably a good, like 15, 20 pounds overweight. Uh, most likely on some medical drug, you know, I think like 70% of Americans are at least one or two medical drugs currently. Um, dude, that's an indication that it's failing, you know, yeah, you're right. And Austin is like more health, con- like way more health conscious than I would say like even like LA or like San Francisco, which are also tend to be more health conscious areas, but even more so than that, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. Some people, it just won't catch up to them as fast. And you're right. I don't think many people are getting away with it. They're just slowly dying a little bit sooner. (laughs) But, you know, I just think some people are kind of getting away with it in a small way where, yeah, they're 35 and they're not as big of a mess as other people. I'll just say that because I'm just thinking the people where, you know, they they're these contrarian type people. They're really annoying. They're like, oh, yeah, bro, you're into health. Yeah, well, like I eat like cereal and Snickers bars and I eat whatever I want and I like do this and look at me, I'm fine. And I see them and they are generally fine. It just hasn't caught up with them yet. You know, they think they're getting away with it. They are highly inflamed. Their face is puffy. They probably have super high triglycerides and you know what I mean? Like they have all the the health problems, then they just don't know it yet. So I kind of know what you mean, but I, I, I kind of am just saying that, yes, there yeah, are some people who think I was just adding a little bit of like uh, gas to the fire kind of conversation. Uh-huh. But yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest obstacles too, in getting, um, I feel especially like in, in the Western world, I would say, but especially on, you know, accelerated mode in the U S one of the biggest challenges of getting people to change is that I feel, especially in this culture, like pathology has been like totally 100% normalized. Like your example right there. When I finished my second book and I was giving grocery store tours on teaching people about these labels and food production practices and stuff, there were sometimes when a person would come up, he's like, dude, 35, like 20 pounds overweight on two medical drugs and like has knee issues, back issues. And he's like, man, I've been eating this factory farm food and this cereal all my life and I'm completely fine. Like they'll say that that to you with a straight face because ironically, you know, he may actually be doing well compared to how his coworkers are doing. Oh yeah. So in contrast, for sure, you know, you're thriving. You're only on two medical drugs. This guy's on eight. Of yeah. course, you're you're thriving compared to him. But I mean, in relation to using the Hansa, for example, as a base mark, like how far off are you from that person? I guarantee you, like, um, like guys like us are probably the one one percent, you know, of healthy oh, individuals sure. in the U.S. But be honest, like how healthy are you compared to how healthy and athletic and vital are you compared to the Hanzo? I can tell you like, I'm probably, they could outperform me for sure. I don't know about you. Yeah. Well, they definitely could, but they're kind of just in a class on their own, but we could outperform them in certain ways too. 
you know, like they are not very muscular. They are not very tall. They, yeah, I don't know. They, they And also some of them are actually getting exposed to these processed foods, especially the tourist groups and they're getting candy, you know, brought to them all the time. They actually smoke a lot of bush weed. They have like <laughs> the weed just grows and they smoke it off of receipts, which is really terrible. Hmm. We, hmm. we didn't really know what to do about it. So they're like, we were like, don't use those receipts. That's probably the worst thing you do. There's just BPA. They're just smoking BPA. So we bought them to rolling papers, some like actual rolling papers as a gift, which it was, I thought the best thing we could have given them. We, we <laughs> But they, uh, yeah, they're, they are being exposed to some of these things and you can see their health decline. So that certain group, they had kind of bad teeth and they weren't prime. And the other group that was not the tourist group that we were with they did seem healthier their teeth were better that you know they did seem healthier and then even the maasai seemed even healthier these guys were super tall like huge jaws huge white teeth like just very robust people and then another thing was interesting is we visited a more agricultural group right so these the maasai and the hadza they're like really more of the native living they're off they're they're more animal based they're not on the processed foods but we found this group that was still pretty whole food based, except for ugali. If people know what that is, it's like a cornmeal. So a lot of these people have to rely on ugali and cornmeal to survive. And it's super cheap. And it's this new thing, right? It's brought in and I think it's killing them slowly. So it's not going to give them type 2 diabetes and make them like Americans. But we looked at these more agricultural groups that had to rely more on plant foods and more on ugali. And they actually were not doing well into, into older age. This is really interesting because the, in the younger age groups, they were fine, right? They looked healthy, yeah. they were not overweight, they were fine. But then we met up with, we, we organized this group, we called it like the tribe of elders. And we had this planned you know, long in advance and you know, it's this whole ordeal, like, let's get this whole village together. We'll get all the old people together and we'll interview them. We'll have a little town hall meeting with Mary and I. And, and we didn't really know what to expect, but then we started to ask them questions and it was an agricultural group. And all they did is they relied on bananas and just random plant foods and very, had very little access to meat or animal nutrition. They had some with milk you know, they could get some eggs and some milk, but you, you don't really kill cows. They're too valuable. And so they, they were very plant-based and they had ugali, at, you know, this cornmeal as a base of their diet. And these older people looked like old Americans. It was crazy. They, they did have all the joint problems and they were hunched over and they were not doing well. And they were eating pretty much a whole foods diet with cornmeal. If you, I, I don't consider that a whole food, right? Like I don't consider bread a whole food. You know, this is basically a version of bread. It's just a, a meal. So you can see this happening in slow motion and you could go into the city and see even worse health. And they were just starting to get the seed oils and all the more of these refined foods. So that was interesting, especially in Uganda, we saw the market. So they're mostly eating whole foods because they can't afford anything but whole foods. You go into a city in Uganda, there's like one fast food restaurant and it's for Americans and tourists. Like there's zero chance 
any local would afford that food or want to buy it. It was 10 times the cost of their food, right? So they were not eating fast food. They were not eating restaurant food. They eat whole foods or they eat, well, no, whole foods and they eat little stands that like make little chicken, right? There's like a guy like on the corner that's like grilling chicken on the side of the road and that's what they eat and ugali. And they started getting into seed oils and we saw them with these containers. They would get like Gatorade bottles, like empty Gatorade bottles full of oil and they would just be dumping it on things and cooking chicken in it. And you could kind of see the decline in their health. Like it's just slower than America, if you know what I mean. Right now in, in the US and other westernized countries, you could be 12 and have diabetes, right? And you have these like eight-year-olds that are obese. It's like the, the health can catch up to you really quickly. And also in general, where our whole society is sick very quickly. Mm-hmm. But they're just behind us, right? They're like kind of like 30 years behind the curve where they're just starting to get in the processed foods and they're just starting to get in all the problems. And so people in these Uganda markets were generally okay up until their 30s. You could see up until their 30s, 40s, everyone looked pretty thin and fine. And then you see mostly the women in their 40s, 50s, they're sitting there eating their paste, you know, their ugali paste and they're like have the cooking oils and they are massive. He's very, and it's just really interesting. And this was in the city. So you could kind of see all the stages of this, if that makes sense, right? And especially within Africa, you could see the stages. As you moved farther out of the city, people got healthier and healthier. So like if you, you would say like the most sick people were in the city, then the, the second most were the people on the agricultural diet, plant-based yeah. Ugali. They were starting to become very sick in old age. And then as the farthest way you go, healthiest people, right? The the people just living off the land, animal-based diets like the Maasai and the Hadza, super robust into old age. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, you kind of asked me a question in terms of uh, what I've done also. And I'm curious of kind of how your diet looks these days. I'm actually, um, probably next month, I'll do the transition 100%, but I was just going to try it for like a year and see how it goes. Uh, but basically kind of like a quick history here for anyone that's also interested in doing the transition and kind of saving you a lot of time here. So I was actually pretty much always on a whole food diet, you know, uh, I never got into like processed food or soda or like, um, maybe the most processing type food I would, uh, have, and I stopped even doing that is like whey protein shakes or something like that, you know, and I even cut that out a long time ago. Uh, but I started with like basically factory farm, industrial agriculture, you know, crops and meat. And um, then I transitioned to having more like legit, you know, 100% grass fed meats, uh, wild fish. And now I'm going to try starting next month. I took up hunting a little while back and I'm not going to be able to provide all my own food, just pretty much enough for like two days out of the week for the whole year. But uh, I found some companies that sell wild game as well. And I was going to try just to eat basically uh, wild game and wild fish for like Mm. the rest of the year and see the difference it would have. So the sources would be like elk, deer, boar, um, and wild fish primarily. And also once a week I will have, um, either 100% grass fed bison or beef, you know, from, uh, you know, your company is great. I, uh, there's American grass fed dot org which is great for the general public that at least wants some kind of screening for their products 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like here we have natural grocers as well, and they sell like AGA certified beef. So I typically buy it there just for convenience. Um, but that's kind of what I was going to try. Mm. And just to see if it makes a difference. I don't know if it will. What's your take? Do you think it would? Because I think like Mother Nature is always the best farmer around, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you agree with that or it's Oh, okay I think it would be amazing. Too. Yeah, I think you would see a difference. I think it would be hard to notice because it would be so gradual. But if you could somehow do some, I don't know, if photos and scans and blood work and all that, I don't usually do all that type of stuff, but it might be valuable to do before and after, or just, it, it just could be hard to even know, uh, cause it happens so slowly. Right. Mm. And I think it would, I think it absolutely would for long-term health, especially I did a great podcast with Dr. Stefan von Vliet that studies this stuff. He's a PhD that does work with mass spectronomy that looks at the nutrient density. Well, it goes beyond just the nutrients in meat. Most people just think of meat or food in the macronutrients, vitamins, minerals, right? That's just, you know, something like 30 different things, right? Uh, There's chromium, copper, there's this, that. All right, there's so much more. There's, I think it was like 70,000 secondary compounds that are in meat. And they look Uh at these with their mass spectrometers and they can, they don't understand it all. They don't know exactly, oh, you need this and this is gray and this is bad. It's just they know that it's so much more when you mm-hmm. do things like grass fed, grass finish the meat or grow it regeneratively on diverse forages. And there's even more, right? And then if you get wild caught game, it could be even more, perhaps more of these secondary compounds that again, we don't know all about, but theoretically and intuitively would make you healthier and provide you so much more. Right. And, and so they've started to do these tests and they, yes, they have the feedlot beef, very little of these secondary compounds, which makes sense, right? They're just eating a bunch of corn slop, right? They're, they, whatever it is, it's like uh, leftovers from different industries and it's a very monoculture type of diet. And then it, it goes down to the, the best would be, yeah, regeneratively raised on diverse pastures. So yeah, that's what we do at Nose to Tail. I can taste the difference. It doesn't taste like super grassy or weird. You know, some grass-fed beef tastes weird, but I I think that ours just tastes rich and amazing. And I want to get it tested because we do. Like I told you, I know these people. It's one family. They're here in Texas, and they have a. They've been doing regenerative ag for thirty years. The grandpa somehow came upon Alan Savory, who's a legend. Mm-hmm. Watch yeah. his TED talk if you don't know who he is. I mean, not you, but listeners. Uh, legend in holistic management and all this regenerative stuff. And they, so they figured this out 30 years ago. And so they, they have these big plots of land. They break it up into different paddocks. They move them. They have a whole grazing plan for the year and they eat hundreds of different types of forage. And of course that translates into their meats. And you, that's what all these secondary compounds are. They're mm-hmm. all these phytonutrients and stuff. So actually I, I interviewed a guy named Dr. Pred. Fred Provenza, super interesting guy. He's a legend as well, done all kinds of animal studies, all kinds of interesting stuff. He's amazing. And he was, we were talking about phytonutrients and, uh, you know, a lot of plant-based people and there's a lot of messaging out of here. You got to eat the rainbow and in like plants are great and this and that. And I think that's not really true. I think it's kind of like a proxy for people who are focused on health. 
that tend to, so basically people who eat more plant-based, that means for one, most importantly, they're eating less junk. I think that's the number one thing is people who eat these whole food diets are eating less junk and two, they're focused on health and making all sorts of other healthy decisions. So I don't think there's anything magical about plant foods. We didn't have that many plant foods around back in the day. There wasn't, you know, just kale sitting in a grocery store. There wasn't the rainbow. We just got what we could when we could. And that was not for that much of the year. And we didn't have this diverse array of plants. I mean, yes, they probably had a bunch of herbs and they had a bunch of random stuff, but not many plant foods are edible. So, I mean, I, I use herbs. I'm not scared of herbs and like berries. And I mean, I, I'm fine with most plant foods anyway. I just don't eat that much of them and I don't think they're magical. But this realization I had, and I don't know if it was with Fred Provenza or Stefan Van Vliet, but when we started talking about all these secondary compounds that were in the meat that was raised on a diverse pasture with, you know, not just, they're not just sitting on grass. I mean, that's fine, but you don't want to just a cow just sitting on grass. That's still a monoculture diet. You want them to eat a diverse array of species and they get all these different minerals and vitamins from all these different things and phytonutrients. And so I had this realization, maybe some of the benefits from eating plant foods is because you can get some of these phytonutrients mm -hmm. missing now. But so conversely, like you're talking about wild game meat, huge array of phytonutrients in the meat. So basically, in the past, I believe that we were getting way more phytonutrients from the meat we ate, not from eating plants. But the, the animals were doing it for us and getting all these secondary compounds by eating their native diet. And I think wild game would be the healthiest meat on the planet because it's so rich in all these secondary compounds. And that's how we got them. It's not like we went to Whole Foods and went to their, you know, little market with all the array of colorful vegetables. They ate that in the form of wild game. Yeah, and the I feel the other problem, especially at the grocery store level, in terms of like um, crops, you know, fruits and vegetables, is most of them now are actually grown hydroponically to make them have even less nutrients. You know, so for the listener. Uh, you know, the, the the world has gone through billions of years of evolution to form the soil composition that gives rise to the crops today or the grasses that the animals eat or whatever. And what hydroponics does is that it goes like, oh, that stuff's not important. <laughs> you know, let's just take it out of the soil and put it like in some bucket with like an ivy drip, basically, mm -hmm. and then kind of feed it uh, synthetic nutrients, basically, for the most part. So... You know, everything has a place in time. There are no absolutes, I think, especially hydroponics has a place for sure. If, uh, you know, um, Musk has his dream and finally really does colonize another planet, I think it would be a good stepping stone to get food produced on that planet, et cetera, et cetera. But I just feel, um, especially I don't like in the U.S. where like even USDA organic crops can be certified as hydro. Uh, or hydroponic crops can be certified as USDA organic without being labeled. So, you know, I kind of don't like, you don't even know if it's, if it's being hydroponically grown or not, but I feel like to also add to your point, it's tough to find like quote unquote real crops these days, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know what you're taking because well, it degrades the nutritional profile even more, even more than what you're saying, you know, and it's already kind of a lot lower, even from its natural source. Yes. So I don't really rely on plant foods for much of my nutrition. I I have plant foods for taste and flavor mm -hmm. and variety and 
yeah, I like to eat some sauerkraut and some pickles and some avocado. But yeah, I, I'm not really relying on it. So yeah, maybe there's a place for hydroponic, the grown stuff. All right, maybe there's some lettuce and you can grow some decent lettuce and you're not going to get that many nutrients. You're absolutely correct. It's the worst way to do it. It's it's yeah, it's trying to like just think that you're going to eat Twinkies and vitamins and that you're going to get your complete diet because you have, oh, the vitamin said I got <laughs> all my nutrients. No, that's not how it works. So, but then I'm, maybe I can eat some hydroponic lettuce. I don't really eat lettuce anymore, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's very benign food. I would just not think that I was getting nutrients from that lettuce. I would get some wild game or some regeneratively grown beef mm-hmm. or bison and then get all my nutrients from there. Yeah. But you're right. You, I mean, I would just go to the farmer's market. There, like, You can't really trust the store. Like all that stuff, you know, it's not going to be grown well. There's just no way. The prices, it, it wouldn't allow it to be grown well for those low prices. Yeah. I also feel like the consistency of and the larger quantities of the, especially meat that the stores require, it's like a legit regenerative farm wouldn't be able to consistently supply that season after season, you know? <laughs> So you're going to have to basically, I feel in my opinion, from my observation, there are a few exceptions, but work with people that kind of like, quote unquote, cut corners, you know? And because especially as you probably run into the super poor oversight of grass-fed labeling claims, you know? Uh, Like, uh, I don't don't know if you know who Jason Runtree is, Dr. Jason Runtree. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. So good friend of mine and um, in his lab they did uh they pulled like a meat analysis from actual meat in grocery stores i forgot exactly how many samples they took but it was basically from 12 different grocery stores or something of that sort and these are meats that are sold as 100% grass fed legitimate grass fed grass finished and they found i think like good uh, I'll, I'll send you this study a good like 60 or 70% of them just had a nutritional profile of grain finished beef you know just to give you a, a one example of how tough it is to actually find legitimate grass-fed beef too, even again, when your intention is to do so. I don't doubt it at all. I'm learning more and more about the world and the food world as I do my meat company and realize how hard it's to do and how we don't make any money and it's not a good business and we're having a lot of trouble with it. And it's because it's so expensive to do. Everyone's trying to cut corners. I was just talking to a restaurant there's a really good restaurant here in Austin that does all the good things, but they can't afford my meat at all. They would never be able to afford it. They can't even afford even like decent grass finished meat, not much less regenerative. They have to use like sort of like grass fed Wagyu or something, which is completely fake marketing because you can't have the Wagyu and like the marble mm-hmm. with, you know, finishing on grass. So the margins would never work. No restaurant would ever do it. Uh, you have to just, and also, yeah, it's too good to be true. You you can see stuff like at Costco, grass-fed burgers, patties, and they're like, oh man, it's only like $5 more, like $3 more for this big pack than for a regular. Like, well, of course that's fake. Mm-hmm. You know? Like you, it's impossible to do that price. So, but they get around it by, they'll have them in a feedlot and then they'll just get something classified as grass. Like, you you know, there's all these different classifications of grass and then they'll just dump in like barrel, you know, just piles of something that could be classified as grass, but they're still just in a feedlot eating a monocultured waste product. 
Yeah. What's what? Uh, I'm just curious. What's the what's the toughest part about what? What kind of obstacles are you running into with with your company in terms of how the market's playing out these days? Oh well, everything. It's just <laughs> like that could be a podcast in and of itself. Everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely everything. But it's just not a good business to be in. Whole. I I actually figured out a lot of how the world works. So even all fucked up. <laughs> it's why the world is the way it is because. You make money on processed foods. And the more mm -hmm. you process the foods, the more money you make. This is, I really learned about this in the past couple of years. No one is making money on meat or whole foods like vegetables. Like there's just, it's impossible to make money on it. That's why there's no big brands. Like you just buy vegetables. It's not like there's a brand on them. Mm -hmm. You know, and then meat, there's not really, there's no branded meat. You don't make money off these things. You make money on the value-added products, which is you processing it and doing it. So even Biltong, I make this beef jerky product. And it's very clean. It has no sugar, no curing agents. It's like slowly air-dried. It's really good. It's the South African version of beef jerky called Biltong. Okay, so it's packaged. It's, it's a bit processed, but in the healthiest way possible. So yes, we do make a little bit of money on it. But still... Not at all, because it's a meat, meat, especially when you're taking the water out of meat, it's much lighter yeah. and then people are paying weight. So it's like, you're getting this small little package and people are like, what? This costs like $12.99. That's so much. Well, yeah, that's a lot of meat, a lot of protein that's in this small package. So yeah. So basically anyone trying to do these businesses, I want to do them because I believe in it, but it's not making money. There's so many other costs associated with doing business. You end up m making no profit. Mm -hmm. So I understand now, like to make real profit, you have to find a business where you're making like 80% profit margin. In a meat business, you'll make like 10% profit margin. Maybe mm -hmm. if you do Biltong, you can make 20% profit. You know, you have a tiny bit of, but if you want to succeed as a business owner, you need 80% profit margin because there's so many middlemen and there's marketing and there's slotting fees and there's this and there's that. So what, what makes 80% profit margin? Bogus trash food, all the grains and seed oils and sugar that just take up all the space in the food and cost nothing. Those three ingredients cost essentially nothing. And that's why the world is the way it is. That's why they can afford to do lobbying in Washington, D.C. It's why they can uh -huh. afford commercials and advertising, why they can afford to do everything. They fund the studies. Everything is continuing the way it is because mm. of giant profit margin on processed foods. And why I say it's almost nothing, it it actually is like the seed the seed oils, added sugars, grains, the base of these bulk of these products, corn syrup, all that stuff. When you look at the, the price of all the inputs, which is again, what I'm finding out as I get more into the food world, the package costs more than those ingredients. Mm -hmm. It really is essentially free. Like the stuff that you're making in cereal I should actually look this up before I start spouting this out on podcast. <laughs> but a box of cereal costs $5. It's insane. More than $5 yeah. probably. I have no idea. It, when I was growing up, it cost $5 for a box of cereal. Last time I looked. <laughs> so that cereal probably costs, I don't know, like five cents. Then the bag and the packaging probably costs, you know, eight cents. And then all the other fees to get it there. And there's so many other slotting fees and storage and trend. Blah, blah, blah. It probably, you know, maybe it costs a dollar to do all that. But still, they're making $4, right? So they're making huge 80% profit margin. 
plus the ingredients themselves cost like four cents. Yeah. One of my one of my friends that owns a supplement company, he always told me this good line and he mentioned pills pay the bills. You know, the, it's a saying that the more processed it is, the more money you'll be able to make. And a lot of Americans don't realize like in terms of volume of return you're getting, how much it really costs. So for example, uh, you know, presuming you're, you're getting 2000 calories a day of at least USDA organic certified food from the grocery store. And I use a grocery store as an example because prices tend to be standardized at the grocery store from state to state. They tend to be roughly the same. So 2000 calories a day of at least USDA organic certified whole food will cost the consumer about 5000 a year. And it's the same consumer that will tell you that's too expensive. But get this, Brian, like, Let's look at like the average expenditures for non-essential expenses per U.S. citizen per year on non-essential, like mm-hmm. alcohol, eating out with friends, shitty food for lunch, um, subscription services. You know, I'm 30, 40 pounds overweight and on 10 medical drugs, but I need this new iPhone, you know, uh, because that's going to make all the difference to me. So the average American, and this is not even including travel expenses, is spending eight to $16,000 a year on non-essential expenses every single year, a bare minimum of eight to a ceiling of 16,000. Some people obviously weigh more than that per year. And once again, nine out of 10 Americans are metabolically sick, but the majority of them would also tell you like they don't have money for your food. (laughs) You know, they don't have money for your food, but I'm like, wait a minute, man, you're spending eight to $16,000 a year on making yourself mentally and physically sick. You are funding your own pathology and you totally have money for that. And if any listener literally sits down and is honest with their accounting, they will see this number is pretty legit and applies across the board. Of course, maybe like one out of every 500 cases, it's not the case. And legitimately, the person doesn't have maybe one out of every 500 cases, but Eight to sixteen thousand, and then on top of that, the average American spends about three thousand dollars a year on a twelve-day vacation, you know, mm-hmm. on a trip. And if you count the total healthcare cost in the U.S. and divide that per citizen, it's twelve thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Twelve thousand, and it's the same person. They'll tell you they don't have five thousand dollars for food that's going to heal them from all their not all their problems because they have to obviously change a lot of behaviors too, not just their diet. But a good, huge mile step in the right direction is obviously, you know, adopting a lot of the eating health principles you've been talking about on this show here. And that's when you know, like, dude, the problem is, like, once again, like I mentioned, pathology, like mental and physical pathology has been standardized. It's been normalized in our culture. And until we kind of change that script and make it make people realize that, dude, this is sickness, like 101 like it's just going to get worse, you know. I don't know. I don't know what your take oh, is on man. that. It's so true. I love that you bring this the numbers to this because even I bring the receipts, food, man. Yeah. <laughs> even just the food itself though. So don't don't count all the other non-essential expenses. Just the food itself. I can get farmers market food that I eat. I will make a bet for cheaper than any one average yeah. American because I, because I do not need snacks. I do not need frappuccinos. I do not need all these things. So even if you're just looking at food costs, 
I will still be cheaper because I just buy my meat and my eggs and whatever else. And that's it. And I'm done and I'm full. And I don't, I have zero desire to snack. I have zero desire to get a $6 coffee. I mean, I can make my own coffee for like two cents, you know, like Uh I, I just have no desire to do all these things and I don't snack and I'd have no desire to eat out anymore. And that was part of that journey. I did, you know, slowly cut that out year by year. It would just gradually go down to me not caring at all. Unless someone's in town and I'm, you know, we go out to barbecue, I'm not eating out. So yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I I guess to wrap things up. Yeah. You have to make that decision for yourself. You're kind of saying it's up to you. This is another big kind of thing I've learned along the way that the number one thing you can do is to identify as a healthy person. I'm not into identity politics, but I am into identifying as someone who is healthy. You know, you make that decision. Well, you have to have the right information, first of all. But if you, that is a huge mindset switch. If you're like, hey, I'm healthy now, what, or like, I'm changing, what am I going to do? And then every decision is kind of based on that. That's what matters most because it's so hard to stick to different things. And, you know, I think what, if you really zoom out, it's like, what is the difference between people who are doing well and people who aren't? It's some people just don't care. Some people have bad information. Always throw that in. Some people just have the wrong information and they're trying, but they're told to eat salads and plant-based and this and that, and, and it won't work. But if you identify as someone is healthy, if you make the that switch in your head, that's going to be the biggest driver of anything. Yeah. Well, are, are, do you need to go or do you want to cover? I have some other cool topics we can cover too. Up to you. Oh, I do need to go, but we can let's okay. we can do a more rapid fire. Okay, we could always pick up like another day too, man. I mean, you're a great guy to talk to, and I appreciate you know your message and um, you know putting a lot of content out there. I know it takes time, you know, it takes time to do these podcasts, and I it was cool watching your your channel on Instagram grow uh, over the time we've been kind of connected for a while now, and um, so we'll we'll call it a day today. If you need to go, and uh, you're. Ha- more than welcome to be on as many times as you like. Just happy to, to yeah. help promote what you're doing. And um, uh, yeah, hopefully the tide turns, man. Hopefully the tide turns one day and people start stop accepting, you know, a life of pathology is normal. And it's just going to benefit them, you know, uh, the second they do that. Is it an easy journey? No. But dude, stay, staying mentally and physically sick and on a bunch of medical drugs your whole life is exponentially more difficult. I guarantee, I guarantee you, you know, it's so true. People don't have that long-term thinking though. Maybe that's, I always try to get like the, the best advice or the highest level thinking of how to change. And other than identifying as healthy, part of that is, is having long-term thinking. It's that delayed gratification. I think that's like really necessary for people, right? Cause I guess maybe the people I know in the health community, like you and I, we have short-term success by changing our diet and losing weight and stuff like that and feeling better. But also the long-term, we know that we're going to live healthier longer and not everyone can do that. So I think long-term thinking is really important. And yes, I I do have to go, but we should pick up another time. There's probably many other topics we can get to maybe, you know, put a few more months in between it and we'll be more along with the food lies series closer to being finished, or at least pitching it around to Netflix and the big platforms. 
but yeah, I'd love to come back on another time. Yeah. And then Brian, also for listeners, you opened up a new location in Austin. Can you tell them about like a website and where to find that and, and what you guys offer there? Yeah. Sapien Center. This has been the greatest thing I've ever done. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. We have a community we're building. It's really going back to human. It's it that's the, the core of it is a bunch of people that just want to live outside the rat race. All the stuff we're talking about, they're into all the food stuff, but even beyond the food stuff, they're into just living like humans. And we used to live in close groups and we knew each other and we bonded and we helped each other and we support each other. And that's what we do here at Sapien Center. And it's great. It's a social club. It's a health club. It's an event space. We, yeah, we, we have all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, we have certain amenities, but what really matters is the community. But yes, we do have sauna, cold plunge. We have like a fire pit. We have grills. We have an outdoor workout with area gym. We have co-working during the day. So if you're in the Austin area, it is the dream come true. It is awesome. It's sapiencenter.com and sapiencenter on Instagram. Cool. And uh, for listeners, all those links will be in the show notes too. So you can just click on those guys pretty easily and, and get, get there. So Ryan, thanks again. Uh, first of all, thanks for being a guest, but then moreover, thanks for, um, you know, spreading an honest message of what health and wellness is too. You know what I mean? Instead of doing the cop out and, Hey, you know, just take this fat loss pill or this medical drug, which will probably make you more money at the end of the day quicker because people buy into those scams left and right. But then at the end of the day, you're kind of selling yourself out too. So first of all, I appreciate you taking that jump, you know, and, and doing the honest work and spreading like a good, honest message. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners, remember, always put your mental and physical health first, because when you don't, misery will always follow close behind. Okay. They're, they're really close friends and they don't like to leave each other. So always, always put your health first because that's, that's really all you have at the end of the day. And once you lose that, you know, you lose your ability to make an income and now uh, you know, the biggest reason for bankruptcy, 65% of bankruptcies in the U.S. are due to health reasons, mm. which is crazy. And if you take into consideration nine out of 10 Americans are metabolically sick, that's really troubling for the economy in the near future, if you think about that. Um, so, Brian, thanks again for being on. Welcome to be on as, as many times as you like. Always good to hear from you. All right. Good times. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you've ever had trouble losing weight, or you've lost weight, but still didn't have the ideal body or health you're aiming for, please feel free to reach out anytime and book an assessment. Eugene will work with you to cover your goals in detail, see what's holding you back, and go from there. In the meantime, feel free to check out the countless testimonials on Eugene's website in the link below. In the testimonial section you'll notice everyone has various backgrounds, are of all different ages, and all have had different challenges in their life, but they all have one thing in common, they were all able to find their health and achieve their ideal body. You're also welcome to add yourself to the Facebook group in the link below. There you'll have access to the live videos that Eugene does weekly on Sundays and other helpful content. Thank you again for tuning in.